Father, you know the fear that I have to teach this text. And you know my inadequacy, Father, but God, we have to talk about it. And so would you please give me the words to say today? Would you give everyone out there the ears to hear this? God, I pray that you wouldn't, we wouldn't leave here compelled by guilt or shame, but instead we'd be compelled by your spirit and compelled by love to engage with you around the world as our brothers and sisters in Christ are in prison and are being persecuted all over this planet. Father, please, I beg you, help me today. In your precious name we pray, amen. Well, what we've been doing and we're gonna be continuing to do is uh, we're gonna be going through Revelation 2 through 3. And the whole heart of it, and just to make sure everybody understands this, is that we're gonna look at these churches to ask the question, what kind of a church is Cornerstone supposed to be? If, if Jesus were to suddenly write a letter to Cornerstone and say, Cornerstone, Jesus has written you now a letter and this is what I would like to tell you about Cornerstone, what would he say to us? And in order to understand what he would say to us, sometimes what we have to do is we have to understand what he said to other churches. And so last week what we did is I, I talked about the city of Ephesus that was a massive city in, in Asia Minor that literally had within it just hundreds of thousands of people. But in the center, if you remember, we talked about the temple to Diana or Artemis that just defined them. And the way the church just fought back against false teaching and, and against all these different things that were trying to keep creep into the church, but in the middle of doing their hard work, they forgot Jesus. And it's just something to reiterate again because I think this church I'm gonna talk about today, this is not us. Smyrna, the one I'm gonna talk about today, we don't have a clue about this one. But we understand last week, don't we? Because every single one of us in this room, I don't care who we are, our heart ebbs and flows away from Jesus. And the main thing I wanted everybody to understand last week is don't beat yourself up, don't continue to run from Jesus, but Jesus does these three things. He just looks at his church and says, remember therefore from where you've fallen. Remember what it was like when you first came to know me. Remember what it was like when you couldn't get enough of God's word. Remember when you still loved people. Remember all these different things. And then he said, lack of love for me, he said, requires repentance because lack of love for me is sin. And so please don't think you're supposed to now somehow look at the, my message last week and go, oh, that was a nice little message. No, if you have lack of love for Jesus in your life, it's not just that you're going through a dry time. That is sin. Anytime we don't love Jesus like we ought to, we are loving other things in ways that we shouldn't. That's idolatry and that is sin. Now, the beauty of what it was I talked about last week, repentance isn't this thing that I'm supposed to beat myself up. Jesus got beat up for you. And I can now come to Jesus and I can trust in his full work upon the cross. I don't have to beat myself up. In fact, if you beat yourself up, that is the dumbest thing you can do. Jesus paid it all. And then he says, now do these things you did at first. In other words, don't try to do it in your own power, but do it in the empowerment of the Spirit. Like when you first came to know me, when I just empowered you to, to love God and love people. And so that's what we talked about last week. Now this week, this little town of Smyrna is so different than Ephesus. Smyrna was a city that was large and it was wealthy. It's about like 35, 40 miles north of Ephesus. And, 
And it was called literally at that time the crown of Asia. It was well known for myrrh. If you know like the three wise men, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they made this perfume, this beautiful, sweet-smelling perfume. It was the perfume capital of the world. Not only that, but it was renowned for wealth, and it was kind of some of the early scientists of the, of the then-known Asian, uh, kind of, uh, Asian minor world. That's where they all kind of congregated together. It was magnificent. It was a beautiful place. It was near mountains. But the thing that marked this city above any other city in that area is its worship of Caesar. Now, I know for some people, it's like, worship of Caesar? What are you talking about? Well, at this time... What that happened was, is about 300 years before Paul or John writes this letter, before he gets this letter from Jesus, they would worship Rome. They believed Rome as a city was like an empress. She was a, she was a goddess that they would literally come and they, and they would do what was called uh, Dia Roma, where, it's, where, it's where they would worship the city of Rome as this giver of all life. Somehow Rome was this wonderful place. And so Smyrna, being a, a place that really wanted to coddle the favor of Rome, said, could we be the capital of your worship of Rome here in Smyrna? Right around 23 AD, what started to take place, though, a guy named Tiberius shifted us away from worshiping Rome, and he said, me as Caesar, I am the God, and you will worship me. Caesar is Lord. Well, they loved it, and so they became the first capital, and they built a temple honoring Tiberius, and literally what would happen is that each citizen was obligated once a year to go to this temple to burn incense and to make a sacrifice and to say, Caesar is Lord. Now you can imagine with the Christians, that didn't go over real well. And so what started to happen was inside of these cities is these Christians would refuse to do it. And what they would do is after they would offer their sacrifice and say, Caesar's Lord, they would get this little certificate that said, I've accomplished my deed for once a year. And you could, they would post it on their businesses. They would do different things. And if you didn't ever see that certificate that this person came and worshiped Caesar, it meant loss of work. It meant all kinds of different things that literally those Christians began to be belittled and belittled and began to struggle more and more and more. See what I mean? It kind of doesn't play real well into our culture. But not only that, is that right around this time, this guy named Domitian, in 95, 96 AD, it was towards the end of his reign as Caesar of, of Rome, and towards the end of his life, he became vicious. It just wasn't that he was persecuting Christians, don't get me wrong, he persecuted anybody that got in his way as truly being Caesar of all Caesars, and if Christians had the audacity to not come and to worship him, he would kind of look the other way as these 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 worship centers of Caesar would then begin to persecute Christians. So probably what happened is, is the people of Smyrna begin to take advantage of this, and it must have reached sometime around 95 or 96 AD, our brothers and sisters of Christ from way back when begin to experience a persecution. But this little church, even though it was perilous for them, and they did, literally, the idea was, is if you failed to acknowledge this Caesar, you could use, lose your life. Somehow, God started doing this amazing work amongst Smyrna. And it's the thing I've always found is that whenever the church gets persecuted, watch out, because it just starts to explode. We don't know kind of how that church was founded. We know that in Acts 19, that there's this great work of God in Ephesus and probably people started leaving Ephesus or even people from Smyrna might've been there and they took back this amazing gospel to Smyrna and it just started taking off. 
And if you look in here, here's what's so cool about this church. It and Philadelphia are the only two churches that Jesus doesn't have any condemnation for them. All of it is praise. And what Jesus is gonna say, and look at chapter, look at chapter two, verse eight. And to the angel, or what we talked about last week, it's probably not angel, but to the messenger that's gonna be going back to the church in Smyrna, write the following words. The words of the first and last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, let me just be honest up front. This is something we have got to talk about. I know for some of you, it's like, oh, I don't even want to talk about this, this whole persecution thing. It's so not a part of my life. But right now around our planet, millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted. And I'm willing to bet most of you over the last week or two haven't even cared. Because if you're like me, and I'm saying this now as condemnation on me, the only reason I started even caring about this is I was studying for this text. And right now in Iran, a guy named Pastor Yusuf has now said he will not recant against Jesus Christ three times and he may die for his faith. But those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. What would you want them to do if it was switched? You ever thought about that? If right now, let's say it was me instead of Pastor Yusuf, and I was the one in jail, I would hope what would happen in my locale would be these people that would care about the fact that I was actually in jail, that I was actually standing up for Jesus Christ, and that I actually might lose my life and my wife and my two kids, which is what Pastor Yusuf has, are possibly going to face the reality that they're going to grow up without a dad, and and she's not going to have her husband. See, Paul would always write letters to the churches saying, please pray for me. We have got to be a church that cares about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to care what God's doing in the world. We don't know what God is doing in all kinds of countries that are closed off to us, that we have no clue what's happening to them. But I would venture to guess again, and I don't want to make us feel guilty because I'm going to turn this in such a way that we're compelled, not out of guilt, out of love. But I do want to deal with this reality. We have got to care. We have to. In fact, this week, man, I just, I sat and I looked at his face. I looked at his wife's face and his two kids' face. (sighs) Can you imagine what's going on in her world right now? And yet we kind of just go through our life not caring. And in this text, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to fuel the fire, I believe, on what we're to be about and caring about these people. He's going to fuel it in such a way that we understand what we're supposed to do with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are under persecution. And the very first thing he says in here, and I love the way he puts it, he says, I am the first and the last. 
He doesn't want us now to go coddle down and go, what are we going to do? He steps out and he goes, look, I have been here from the beginning and I will be here at the end. Think about that. When this world was started, I was here. And when it comes to an end, I'm still going to be here. And in fact, to call himself the last, what he was saying is, is I'm going to bring about the final victory. He goes on and he even takes a little bit further. He, he truly does understand their pain. If you look in it, he says, I'm the first and last, and I died, and I what? I came to life. He's laying out in front of this amazing ideas that, look, I took on flesh. I came. I lived this life. I died. But let me tell you something. I am the one who broke the gates of hell wide open and killed death. Now, imagine yourself being the ones persecuted and hearing Jesus say this. He's just elevating himself and his work. And he's wanting them to understand that in spite of what might be happening to you right now, I am here and I am the transcendent one. But he's gonna go even a step further. Look what he says. I know your tribulation and your poverty. That word know means I factually can see and understand your pain. I am watching it. In fact, he's even the way he's going to talk about it a little further is, is that I have walked that path. This very path that you Smyrna people are about ready to go on, I have been on it. I know your tribulation. And even I, he says, I know your poverty. That word poverty literally means there's two different words for poverty. This word literally means you have nothing. More than likely what it was is they were slaves. And if a slave didn't go worship Caesar, oh my goodness. Oftentimes, a slave could be abused, he could be robbed, he could be plundered, he could be deprived of all kinds of things. And here's Jesus talking to this group of people saying, I see it. I know what's going on. Because of their faith, man, I just think about some of us, and maybe just I'm thinking about myself. People would have said, who needs this religion in the United States? Forget it. I'm walking away from it. We'll try another one. But this group of people, they didn't. They simply trusted Jesus more and more, and they never lost their first love. And in a way, it seems almost like Jesus is saying, look, I, I know your pain. I know what you're going through. I know it by my own experience. I've walked this path before you have. I've been there. I've been poor. I've been at a place where I couldn't lay my head. I've been persecuted. I've been killed. I know. I know everything about the tribulation you're going through. I know it, and I can see it happening, and I've been there, and I feel it. I'm a sympathetic high priest. I understand. There was no hypocrisy in Jesus. I get it, he says. But the real kicker to this comes when he goes on and talks about slander. Look at, look at he goes on in verse nine. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, he says, but are a synagogue of Satan. He says, I know your tribulation, but those who say, and that's gonna be key to what I'm gonna talk about today because I don't want us to go awkwardly anti-Semitic here because that's not what's happening. I see these, these particular Jews who say they're Jews, but they're not. And think about it. They are a synagogue of the most evil, most powerful created being. I see it. 
They'd been hated by the government. They were totally hated by them. But then all of a sudden, this segment of Jewish people who were always so part of this culture, they probably had started to, to create uh, uh, partnerships and businesses with, with the, the Roman leaders that were up there. In fact, uh, one of the key leaders, uh, Nero, who persecuted Christians around the mid-60s AD, he had relationships with two Jewish guys. One was a, a guy that was a business partner. One was a lover. And those two guys were the ones that convinced Nero to literally burn hundreds of Christians around his garden. Because the Jews, you got to understand this, at that time hated the Christians because they were teaching a message that the Jews hated. And so what was probably happening inside of this was, and again, it's not anti-Semitism because they weren't the ones that killed them. The, the, the Gentiles were the ones that killed them. The Jews probably came in like they had done for, for all this time coming out to that point, and they slandered them about cannibalism because they somehow ate this blood and drank this bread, misunderstanding the Lord's Supper. They slandered them about immorality because these people would come up to one another and greet one another with a holy kiss. They slandered them to be homewreckers because a husband or wife would come to know Jesus Christ and it would wreck the home apart oftentimes. They slandered them for atheism because they wouldn't worship Caesar and they wouldn't worship this Yahweh, they thought, when in fact the Christians really were worshiping them, but they just slandered them and slandered them. They accused them of rebellion and political mutiny when all the while they misunderstood that Christians were to submit to the rulers over them. This slander probably came out in the form of official indictments in which the literal people that would come and testify against them were the Jews. And Jesus is looking at them saying, I understand this whole Jew-Gentile problem. The Jews are who turned me over too. The Gentiles are who crucified me. I get it. And the reason that he calls them this synagogue of Satan is because under the influence of Satan, what happened with these Jews was they began to take these Christians and Jesus promised them, it's gonna get rough. But look what he does. I love this verse 10. Do not fear. Thank you. I know baby language. See, even babies will cry out, even if you all won't. Do not fear. Why? Because the Jesus that is the first and last and defeated death and is one day going to defeat Satan is going to conquer all of them, looks at them and says, I know what you're going through. I remember being in the Garden of Gethsemane. I remember sweating drops of blood, understanding what was about ready to come my way. I get that. I understand this. But on the other side of persecution is the glory of God. So don't fear. Thank you. Don't fear. Don't fear. He goes on. And he says to them this, not only are they not to fear what they're about to suffer, he says, because this devil is about ready to throw some of you into prison that you may be, and this is a key word, tested for 10 days and will have tribulation, but be faithful. The idea of, of, of tested means the idea of being squashed is that literally he, Jesus, has given Satan free reign to squash this group of people for a little time 
And literally what's going on here, it seems to be, is, is there is a cosmic battle happening in the town of Smyrna between God and between Satan. And God has looked at Satan and said, see my servants down in Smyrna, just like he said to Job, see my servant Job. Have your best out. Now, on one side, I think if the people of Smyrna were any part of this conversation, they probably would have said, what about Ephesus? <laughs> but think about this for a second. Think about this. Can you imagine if God looked down at you and said, do whatever you want because that one's not going to fail? That's my servant Todd. You can put him through whatever you want, but his faith is real. When I died for him, when I saved him, when I made him all kinds of new, when I put my spirit inside of him, he may have moments of weakness, but he will not fail. And literally in this cosmic battle that must have been taking place because God then let Satan have a time where he went after them. But he says, be faithful, look at this, even unto death. But look what he follows it up after this. And I love how Jesus does this. And I will give to you the crown that is life. See, go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me show you something of what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 51. Here's what Jesus is helping them to understand. He says this, behold, I tell you a mystery, verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed completely is the idea. <clears throat> in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, <clears throat> at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Jesus saying? What he's saying to those people in Smyrna is, I have removed the stinger of death. In fact, he's going to, at the very end of it, in Revelation 22, he's going to, or in Revelation 20, he's going to tell them, the stinger of death that's going to be removed is, is you won't face the second death. See that back in Revelation 2? Look at the very end of it, in verse 11. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by what? The second death. In other words, people in Smyrna, this cosmic battle that's going on, you can look at it in the face and understand that death, you can mock it. Because death might kill you. It might take you out the first time, but then it's going to unleash something so incredible because immortality will be put on you, unperishableness will be put on you. You will never face the second death, and instead what will happen with your death is you will be ushered off into the victory of Jesus with him forever. But that's not it. Because there is nothing more 
powerful than the testimony of a man or a woman that stands in front of anybody and shakes their fist at them and says, you might kill me, but if you kill me, the testimony of Jesus is only going to get louder. All throughout time, the seedbed for the gospel has been the blood of the martyrs, and every time people get killed, watch out. The gospel only gets louder. In fact, within this town, there was a guy named Polycarp. He's one of my favorite guys, even though his name is kind of stupid. <laughs> he lived about a half a century or so after John wrote this. In fact, he was, an, he was a disciple of John. Right around 155 or 156 AD, he was taken <clears throat> and he was burned alive at the age of 86. Don't say, oh, until I've told you the rest of the story. Because I don't think you'll say, oh, at the end of it. I think all you'll do is stand up and clap for Jesus. In a letter that got sent to the various churches from Smyrna, because he was, the, the, like I said, the pastor of the Smyrna church, it was told how there were certain Jews and, and certain Gentiles that had, had co, co kind of gotten together, co-conspired. There we go, that's what I was looking for. And they basically came to the, the ruler of the city at that time and they said, look, we think that there's this guy Polycarp, he's causing problems and let, let's either feed him to the lions or let's burn him to death. It was the time of the public games in Smyrna and literally what started happening is these Jews and Gentiles co-conspired together and while everyone was gathered for this gigantic celebration, this, this sporting event, they started screaming out and they started this chant that started saying, away with the atheist, let Polycarp be searched for. Away with the atheist, let Polycarp be searched for. And the thing about it is, is Polycarp could have escaped. But that night... He had had a dream, and in that dream, he had envisioned his pillow that was burning. And when he woke up that next morning, he looked at all of his disciples that were around him, and this is what he said to him. I love you dearly, but it appears to be that I must be burned alive. Who wakes up and says that? A little slave girl who had collapsed underneath torture. Nobody knew where Polycarp was, but a little slave girl that had been bringing him his food under torture collapsed and told them where Polycarp was. And when the soldier who was captain actually came and got him, Polycarp had such a good name in Smyrna that the captain of the guard that came to get him, the whole time he's walking along with him, he just kept saying to him, look, just worship Caesar, curse Jesus, and live. And this is what he said to him. He says, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord? This is what this guy said to him. And to sacrifice and save your life. But Polycarp adamant looked back at him and only smiled and said, why would I do that? Jesus is Lord. They drug him into the arena and the proconsul that looked down upon him and they, they said, look, you have a choice. You can either curse Jesus and worship Caesar or die. And this is what Polycarp said. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning, and Polycarp replied to them, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, for you do not know the fire which awaits you, the wicked, and the judgment to come and an everlasting punishment. What are we waiting for? Come do what you will and he remained unmovable. 
So the crowds came flocking, and literally these people, these, these, these Gentiles and these Jews started just getting people riled up, and they went and got sticks, and they started bringing them together, and they started creating a pile. And as they're creating a pile, the sentence was cast about upon him that he would, be, he would be killed. And the Jews that were coming, they didn't realize it, but they were carrying wood on the Sabbath, which is to break the law, but they didn't care. And right when they were about to bind him, this is what he told them. Leave me as I am, for he who gives me the power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved, even without the security you will give by binding me. So they left him loose in the flames, and he died singing praises to Jesus. That's a sermon. Just by singing songs, telling these people, you understand, Jesus is Lord. And I'll die for it. That's how much I believe in it. What's so beautiful about this is the word Smyrna means myrrh. And to make myrrh, what they would do is they would take these, these, these trees, these myrrh trees, and they would squash them. And as they squashed them and squashed them and squashed them, out of them started to come this, this fragrance, this, this aroma that was myrrh, and it just smelled beautiful. And I don't know if Jesus intended this, but there's something so amazing in a neat way. He told Satan, go ahead and squash them. But it's going to smell beautiful. Now, I say all this for a reason. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to watch this screen up here. Yusuf Nadarkhani faces execution within days if he refuses to renounce his faith. Yusuf Nadarkhani has already refused to recant his faith in court. As far as we understand, he will be asked again whether he wishes to recant. Should he refuse, uh, we understand that um, he will be facing execution. stands as a clear example of Iran's current crackdown on Christians. Recently, the government has openly admitted that Iranians are leaving the Islamic faith and becoming Christian. has gained momentum and I think that's really because the church is growing with increasing momentum.
I traveled to Africa a few years ago, and, and I was walking around with a guy. He was a, a gentleman that had lived during the uh, during the the presidencies of Obote and Idi Amin in Uganda. And even at one point, he had barely escaped death when he and a group of people were lined up to be shot, and they left a few of them alive to go tell everybody else what was going on. And I just sat there that night. We were eating in his living room, and it was dark, and it was over just a kerosene lamp, and we were talking through this, and I was trying to understand it. And all day long, I'd been trying to understand his world. And he looked at me, and he goes, Todd, stop it. I've got my chicken. I'm thinking, am I supposed to stop eating? Or, you know, I'm like, he goes, stop it now. You Americans, you're funny. I think we are. You try to fix everything. He goes, I watched you at the hospital today. See, America, you go to doctor first and pray second. In Uganda, we pray first and go to the doctor second. He said, and the only response we have is the response that every believer should have, pray. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 says, we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we are experiencing in Asia, right, where this has taken place. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength and we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he'll deliver us. On him we have set our hope and he will deliver us again. You also must help by picketing and by sending notes and by getting angry and contacting your congressman and doing all these other things because we have to do whatever we can. No. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf of the, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The first and the last one is in charge. Do you realize that if Jesus wanted to today, he could squash the court that this, that this pastor stands in front of? The Bible says he controls the heart of the king. But I think the hardest thing for us to wrestle through because we are a sympathetic people, we do have a heart for people, Americans do, is watching what he might have to go through to truly praise Jesus. Our goggles are all wrong. Am I praying for the release of Pastor Yusuf? You better believe it. I'm praying because I think if they release him, that means the government caves and watch out because the church is going to run rampant in Iran. You know all the problems we're having between us and Iran now? Can you imagine if it got fixed by the gospel? All the while, we're trying to figure out, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The government, you know, and peace in the Middle East. I'll give you peace in the Middle East. Jesus I don't want him to die. But I put myself in his shoes and I was, gosh, God, just help me know how to pray for him. And I think Jesus wants us to pray for him just like Revelation 2, 8 through 11 talks about. Because I'm sure this man is petrified. And he needs those moments in his spirit where the spirit of God just 
talks to him in that innermost part of who he is. Do not fear. Do not fear. I'm sure he's fearful because he's already been in front of him three times that he's going to cave. And the only way that Satan wins in this is if he caves. We need to pray for him that regardless that he understands that the true husband of his wife is not Pastor Yusuf. His, her true husband is Jesus. The true father to those children is not Pastor Yusuf. The true father, they have a great father and he's in heaven. And so what I want to do today, I don't want to try to fix the problem. I want to pray. And so a lot of you might have seen these coming in. Either you got one in your bulletin. There's some back there. We're also going to put them up on the screen. But we're just going to take some time together. If you want to pray alone, that's fine. If you want to get together even some groups of people, I'm just going to walk you through here a little bit. And we're going to pray for five countries in particular. Number one is North Korea, which is the most uh, closed country on the planet. For the most part, we don't have a clue what's happening inside of North Korea. In fact, we don't even know how many Christians there are because there's rumors starting to get back of revivals happening inside of prisons. Remember when Paul said in Philippians 1, fine, put me in jail, I'll lead all of them to Jesus. Little do they know as they put Christians in jail, fine, we'll do a revival here. Not only is there North Korea, but there's also Iran. <clears throat> there's also Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia and Somalia. And so what we're gonna do right, you can go back to the first slide, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone so fast. But what we're gonna do right now is, is either alone or with a group of people for the next few minutes, would you just pray, and especially when we get to Iran, could you please pray for Pastor Youssef? Pray for him not to fear and to be faithful and to truly trust God with the outcome of his life. If you wanna pray for his release, boy, I'm doing it like crazy because I think that would be a bold statement. But for the next few minutes, either again, if you wanna get together in groups, that's preferable, but if you wanna do it alone, that's fine too. But let's just pray right now for North Korea that God would truly do a work inside of the prisons there that people would come to know Jesus.